let me continue with my second message on supernatural protection, something that I think is much needed and uh, much to be known about during a time such as we're in now. We're going to begin by turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Well, I guess I ought to be on the safe side. I ought to put on my glasses. Still getting used to these things. They make me dizzy. They're bifocals. You look down, everything's fuzzy. So if I fall around a little bit, uh, I got an excuse. But at any rate, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I probably should make a comment before I continue reading, because one of the biggest challenges I had when I started getting serious about God many decades ago was to believe that there was an, a, an evil entity called the devil. I really didn't have much trouble believing in God because you could look at the complexities, the, uh, all of the interdependencies, the vastness of creation and know that it couldn't have happened by random chance. You have to be deliberately ignorant uh, to believe that in my humble opinion. But basically, I had trouble believing there was a devil. I associated him with a, you know, Halloween figure in, you know, a suit with, with horns and a pitchfork or something. But as long as we don't recognize that there is, in the unseen realm, a battle, an ongoing war between light and darkness, if you don't realize that that unseen realm is just as real as the temporal arena that we deal with with our sensory perceptions. If you don't believe that there is an entity heading up the kingdom of darkness known as the devil, Satan is another name. And of course, uh, he was created to be Lucifer, light bearer, and was one of God's most, the most beautiful of his creations to that point. When Lucifer got lifted up in pride, led a rebellion of one-third, the angelic host against God in the dateless past, was defeated and cast back into the earth. And that influence is very real in our day. That influence is there for the balance of the church age. When this dispensation is completed and we move into the millennial reign, then that influence will not be here, but until then, it is here. It is here during our life on this earth. And the only way that he can overcome uh, the plan of God for your life, the blessing of God for your life, is by getting you uh, to believe that that's a possibility. The Bible tells us that he's a defeated foe. God's not going to let him infringe on your right to choose any more than God will infringe on your right to choose. So the enemy is limited to deception. He's got to deceive you by natural circumstance, by things that human opinion or secularism would promote, ideas that are contrary to the truth of the revelation of God's word, 
These are things he's got to convince you of through all of the natural arena of life that we live within. And that's why the word uses wiles of the devil. And our challenge is to be able to stand against his deception if we're going to experience the kind of protection we want to have, the blessing that our covenant with God offers us. Verse 12 goes on to say, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we see something here called the armor of God. And he uses natural analogies to make spiritual truth a little bit clearer to us. I want to begin, however, with the fact again in verse 12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So often we see those who oppose our opinions as our enemy. We've got to wrestle with them. Anyone that comes against us, that declares themselves to be our enemy perhaps, that's who our contest is with. And that's who we've got to overcome. But I can assure you, as soon as you overcome that individual, another one will be raised up to take their place unless you get to the root of the problem. It isn't flesh and blood that is the root of the problem. It is the powers and principalities and rulers of darkness and high places that we just read about that are influencing men, women who don't know any better. They simply take secular viewpoint, opinion, natural circumstance, uh, and of course, many of these things bring them to an evil conclusion and without realizing they're representing the kingdom of darkness, they work to uh, overcome the light and the good that is resident within you and that you can experience. And so we have to begin understanding that this is about something the Word refers to as the unseen realm. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, you can look there later if you want, uh, but we see that unseen realm referred to and it is that realm that is revealed to us by the Word of God. The Bible is a revelation of unseen truth. Truth that cannot be empirically validated, that can't be rationalized through your sensory perceptions, your natural understanding. Truth, as I said last Sunday, about heaven and hell and life and death and God and the devil, and the list goes on. Truth that can't be empirically validated is what that unseen realm contains, and it's only revealed to us by the Word of God. 
If you don't think there's another realm, if you don't think there is a heaven or a hell, if you don't think there is a God or is a devil, you're dealing with less than a full deck and your life will never work out for you. And one day you're going to realize the utter futility of just human effort without the influence of God. And perhaps then you'll reconsider, but don't let it go that far. Don't let it go that long. We're told very clearly that our contest isn't simply with other people, but against supernatural entities that occupy the unseen realm, the spiritual realm. And the word tells us about that realm and how to deal with the various kinds of confrontations we're going to have in our life to come. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, Wherefore, because of this unseen realm, we're told to take unto us the whole armor of God. He says there is armor. There is defensive weaponry for you in that arena. If you're a covenant person, if you've been saved, born again, as Jesus, the terminology Jesus used, uh, if you have a covenant with God, there is a spiritual array of weaponry for you that you can use in that arena. But you have to first know about it and then you have to put it on. Take unto you. It's there, but you have to take it unto you. You have to put it on, wear that armor in order to succeed in that arena. And you won't succeed in life in general, unless you bring spiritual truth into the equation. And this is what we're told, that there is an armor that we can put on that will enable us to withstand in the evil day, something like the coronavirus. You'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I mentioned last Sunday that if you have an indeceased Bible, this phrase, having done all, if you look in your center reference column, you'll see it means overcome and having overcome all. So the defensive weaponry is more than just defensive. It'll enable you to put more pressure on your enemies in that realm, in the kingdom of darkness than they're putting on you. You are to be an overcomer and it's the armor of God that puts you on that path. So we're going to look at each piece of armor that God describes, talk about it for a moment. The next verse begins discussing, first of all, having our loins girt about with truth. Now this made sense to people of this day. It's the belt that they put about themselves that was really the, the foundation of each of the other pieces of armor that were to be uh, adorned. And it says that they are to, you are to gird about your loins. Loins is a reference to your creative capacity. You are a creative being, not just in the natural arena are you able to reproduce, but spiritually you are a creative being, and it shows up in a variety of ways. 
Artists create from a blank canvas. Writers create beautiful literature. Architects draw magnificent buildings from their hearts. They see things and put it on paper. Engineers design new automobiles and airplanes. They create. But it's not only those who create. The guys who turned the wrenches are taking something that was but a vision uh, to the engineer that drew it, and they build reality <clears throat> out of a design. You know, the construction workers that build beautiful buildings are putting substance to a vision that somebody else had. <clears throat> we are all creative. That's the way we are made. That's the way God put us together. And the most basic thing that we need to create is a strategy for living life successfully. You can create a strategy for approaching life in a way that is gonna produce everything you want. You can create the tactics that you use on a day-to-day -day basis that take you toward that grand strategy. So it's important that your creative nature be protected. And it says there's only one thing that does that, and that's truth. Truth has to gird about your life to protect your creative capacity and see it used in a way that is consistent with God's will or purpose. And remember, truth embraces two arenas of life. We discussed them last week this natural temporal world in which we live, and then of course the unseen realm that I've already talked about. Of course our scientists, our medical technicians and researchers and, and others have created uh, or have come to understand physical law, physical truth that will enable them, will en enable us to be creative in this natural temporal arena to a degree but then there's another side to that coin. There's the spiritual arena of truth that has to be plugged in for you to have the resource, full resource of truth at your disposal. And so it's that truth, both in the temporal arena and in the spiritual arena, coming together to form the perfect strategy or enable you to form the perfect strategy for your life based on your natural giftings, your spiritual giftings, the desires of your heart, a strategy to orient your life toward fulfillment and contentment and joy. And then your daily tactics for engaging the resistance you meet will be creative as well, enabling you to realize the dream that God has birthed in your heart. The first thing that has to be considered part of your armor, and especially as we consider supernatural protection, is you have to have the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Secondly, we see that you're to have on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covers the heart. The heart is the center and core of natural life, and it's used in Scripture to identify the real you, the spiritual you, that comes alive when you're born again. The image and likeness of God Almighty. 
It's a, you, the real you is a being who is already healed, already delivered, already set free, already prosperous in every arena. That's the real you, no matter what you see in the mirror when you get up in the morning. The real you is what you'd see described in the Bible if you are in Christ. In Christ is a term that refers to making him your Lord. You are now in him. And of course, all of the things that he says he is define who the real you is. And that's the way you're going to live out eternity when you live this life. But you don't have to wait until then. You can have it now. You're, if you're hearing a lot of new things right now, calm down. This is all in the Word. And I want you to be able to focus enough to listen to what I say. And if you doubt any of the things I'm saying, look in the Bible for yourself. I always encourage our congregation to follow me in the Word, and that way we keep man's opinion out of it. If I ever offer my opinion about something, I'll tell you. Otherwise, it should be chapter and verse. So look in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, come by here. You can walk in our lobby any of the uh, days of the week, and uh, Monday through Friday, and you can pick up a free Bible. We'd love to sow that into your life. And check the truth out for yourself. And when you know who you are in Christ, one of the primary things that we're told is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Most people look at the word righteousness with religious shades on. And they think that it refers to the need simply to walk uprightly throughout this life. And of course, when you become a covenant partner with God, that will be the desire of your heart. It may be a growing desire, but it will become stronger and stronger as you grow in the Lord, and it will change your behavior. But God's not saying he's waiting on you to reach that pinnacle of perfection uh, before you're righteous. He sees you right now through the shed blood of Jesus Christ as righteous, and the most basic definition of that word means right standing with God. This protects your heart in a way few other things can. When you know God isn't after you, God's not the problem. You have right standing with him. No matter what you did wrong yesterday, no matter what you may do wrong tomorrow, he sees you as righteous. And that's why it's a protection for your heart. It eliminates condemnation and guilt and shame, all destructive forces in the human experience. And you need protection from, from your, for your heart. If the opposing forces of darkness aren't going to convince you of your unworthiness, your guiltiness, your shamefulness, if they're not going to be able to condemn you through all of the many voices that we hear during the course of our life, you have to protect your heart by knowing who you are in Christ. And I think the first thing you gotta know is that you have right standing with God. I hope you're cheering and praising God back in the uh, privacy of your home. 
We have a camera operator that's joining in here. That's good. But at any rate, let's uh, move on to the next item of, of armor. Now that, you know, you have your breastplate in place and your life, your loins, the creative you is girt about with truth, it says your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Now what do your feet do? They carry you other places than where you are now. And we see in the word in Acts chapter one, that could be your Jerusalem or your city. It could be Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth and the vernacular of our day and where we're located. We could say Minneapolis, Minnesota, America, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Wherever you go, your feet are gonna take you there. And before you go, before your feet can take you there and have the impact that is going to fulfill your heart and your purpose and God's purpose, you're gonna have to prepare with the gospel of peace. Now there are many things the gospel does. It produces faith, it reveals love, it gives us hope, but it's interesting to me that he picked out peace. Now we know that in Philippians chapter four we're told there is a peace that passes all understanding that will garrison about our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And of course, you know, uh, it's beyond understanding because circumstance can be contrary to what might produce peace. It could be a soldier in the middle of a battle. And he can have a peace that is not going to come any other way except through the gospel of peace. The word gospel actually means good news. What brings you peace in your life anyway? It's when you hear good news, you get a little peace going. You get, you know, you get to feeling pretty good about things. When you get good news about something, then, you know, peace comes. There's hardly any better news you can get physically than by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. That there is a way to experience healing, <clears throat> whether it's through the hands of our current medical professionals, who God uses all of the time, or whether it's through direct intervention of the miraculous, you can know for a certainty that healing is yours. And that knowing is called faith. That's what brings it to you. It's good news to know that you can receive your healing. Good news to know that there's supernatural healing for your relationships, for your marriage. It's good to know that business failure, you know, in the natural doesn't need to have that final outworking of, you know, going out of business. Because God can and does say throughout his word that, you know, and this is why the gospel is good news, there are solutions to any touch of death that humanity might experience in this earth, any touch of it. Death is seldom a single quick event, sometimes it is, but more usually death is a progression. As we age, perhaps, we get closer to that time, or as, you know, a disease takes its toll on our bodies, you know, it's a slide toward death. You know, financial shortfalls, 
begin the slide of, toward financial death of whatever undertaking you may have. But we are redeemed from the touch of death if you believe the word and the word tells us how we can align our lives with that truth. That's why the gospel is good news. And you get this good news about anything, what does it do for you? It brings peace to your heart. In the midst of all of the hubbub over the coronavirus, and I don't minimize the importance of our listening to the things that we need to be uh, cautious about in order to avoid spreading or receiving something somebody else spreads, though that's part of the physical truth we need to embrace and live with. But when you bring these two realms of truth together, you can rejoice because that's what good news does. It announces that there is an answer. You don't have to be touched by this. Read Psalm 91 again. Read the many passages that talk about supernatural protection and it'll bring you peace. And this is what makes you effective when you go into the rest of the world, whether it's your city, your state, your nation, or somewhere else on the globe. He said to prepare ourselves with this gospel of peace because we'll confront challenges, but more than anything else, people are drawn to, to a person, are open to a person's influence who apparently has found an answer to this problem because they're happy. They're filled with the peace of God. They're not sweating it. They're not worried. They're not under the gun. They're okay. And that draws people to you or opens them to your influence. Now, you can share that good news with them. So before you go anywhere, you make sure that your own life is surrounded by and typified by this peace that is supernatural in origin. That's what the Word of God is intended to do, can and will do. Let's go on to the next point in our discussion. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now I should probably say that I've heard this passage preached uh, as the fiery darts being defined as thoughts that come to your mind. And I, I suppose it could be. Uh, I don't think that's the primary application because there's another piece of armor that deals with thoughts. I believe the fiery darts are the oppositions, the different kinds of opposition you're going to face to the goals you've set in your life, to the strategy that you've created by the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. I believe that it's the mountains of impossibility we're all gonna face, that the Bible says we can cast into the sea, says that's what faith will do. I believe it's David's Goliath. Uh, I believe it's the Israelites, Jericho, all of which looked impossible. All of which are designed by the kingdom of darkness to limit or prohibit your progress toward the unfolding will and blessing of God. And so these things that come against us, whether it's a doctor's report saying you have a terminal illness, whether it's cash flow problems that say your business is going down the tubes, 
whether it's your husband or your wife saying the marriage isn't working, they're considering divorce, whatever uh, obstacle to the will and purpose of God you find in your life, obstacle to the progress you believe by the word of God and by the desire of your heart, which are created by God. Uh, well, those fiery darts can all be quenched by the shield of faith. And of course, that means it becomes all important for you to ground yourself in the word until faith has come. I get asked all the time, how do I know when faith has come? Well, we just read about it. The good news will bring peace, but only if you believe it. A lot of people know what the Bible says, have even committed reams of it to memory, but they don't really believe it. They've been more influenced by the self-proclaimed intellectualists, secular opinion, uh, the mindsets of men that don't know or could care less about God. You've heard too much of that, been exposed to too much of that, more than you're being exposed to the word and you begin to lose your peace, even though you know what the gospel of peace has to say. And so faith coming produces peace in the midst of the storm. The storm can still be raging, but you've got an unexplainable peace. In natural terms, it's unexplainable. Passes all understanding. When that peace is there, you're hearing more of what God says than you're hearing of what the world around you says. And so where those two realms of truth are in conflict, the higher order is the word of God. And when you feel peace in spite of your circumstance, faith is there. And that's simply a, 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 an indicator to you that you need to turn off the news a little bit more frequently Get out your Bible, and if you don't like to read, I mean, you can do everything on technology nowadays. You know, get your device out and uh, pull up the Bible. Begin reading it from your device, or use the Strong's Concordance or other Bible study aids on your device. I mean, technology has made it really easy for us. Just do it. If you're a lover of technology, put it to use the right way so that you can hear more of what God says about you than what your circumstance is saying about you. And then your faith will quench that fiery dart of the doctor's report, will quench that cash flow negative situation that seems to say you're going down the tubes in your business, that will quench those concerns that say, I'm out of a job now. How in the world am I going to survive? Well, aren't you glad one of God's names is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides? He says he's El Shaddai more than enough. And so, you know, as that begins to resonate inside of you, then, you know, a lifting occurs inside of you. Peace begins to come. It doesn't matter how God gets you the money that you need. Some might come through the unemployment benefits that a lot of people are filing for. But I believe if that doesn't meet your need, 
You just keep your faith engaged and it'll show up somewhere else, some other way. You know, God uses a multitude of different channels. Don't limit him by thinking he has to do this or that. He just says, if you will believe, he will make you all sufficient in all things. And so you take that shield of faith, quench all these fiery darts of contrary circumstance, opposition to your well-being or your family's well-being, quench them all. And then you can move on to the next couple of pieces of armor. So we see then, now you take the helmet of salvation. When you get saved, you have the capacity to live by a different mindset. And I want you to hear this. The word says that when you enter covenant with God, you now have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. You have the capacity to think like he thinks, no matter what your circumstance might be. When you're in covenant with God, you now have that capacity to think like he thinks. Now, that's your helmet of salvation, but you have to put it on. You can't leave it sitting on your desk somewhere. Just because you have that capacity, there are a lot of Christians that are lovers of God, that are in covenant with God, but they don't know this part of the word perhaps, or it hasn't come home to their heart yet. And so their helmet, even though they've got a helmet, they've got supernatural protection for their mind and the way they think and the way they see life and life's realities. They've got it, but it's sitting there on the sideboard somewhere. It's not on their head. And of course, you know, people that aren't saved or don't have a covenant with God have no capacity to understand anything God says. We see that in the parable of the sword. To all those who are without, the word of God is a mystery unless they be converted, Jesus told his disciples. But once you have a covenant with God, you have a helmet, now put it on. How do you put it on? By doing exactly what 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us, and that is to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Cast down vain imagination and anything that exalts itself against God and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is how you put on your helmet. These negative thoughts start coming your way. I think I shared last week, one of my spiritual fathers used to say, you know, the birds fly over your head, but you're not gonna let them build a nest in your hair. Thoughts are the same way. Thoughts come to everybody. You know, everybody has opportunity to take fearful thoughts, wrong thoughts, uh, but you don't need to let them build a nest in your brain. When these thoughts come, you rid yourself of them by bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And it's fairly easy to do. Once you establish a new habit pattern, you are a creature of habit. You can shape good habits and destroy bad habits. Takes a little effort to do that, but you can. When bad thoughts come, you can get in the habit of saying, nope, not that, 
you know, I'm, I'm not going to accept that as truth for me. I'm not going to accept that as acceptable to me because God says. And then put his word in your mouth about that particular matter or area of life. And just begin talking that way. Talking upbeat, talking positive outcomes, talking about God's promise, talking about being more than a conqueror through him who loved you, being able to do how much? All things through Christ who strengtheneth you. Talk it, talk it up. And when you talk, you'll discover that your brain is connected to your tongue. If it's not rote memorization, you've got to think about what you're speaking. And so as you begin putting God's word in your mouth, you are bringing captive your thought life to the obedience of Christ, and then it'll become easier and easier as you develop this pattern of living to think right. And how is that? You have the mind of Christ. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, and that means think like he thinks. You have that capacity when you're in covenant with him, and that's how you put on the helmet. The sword of the Spirit is the one offensive piece of armor we have. That's all we need. Everything else is to ward off the enemy's attack in various areas or parts of our life. But the sword of the Spirit, according to the Bible, is the Word of God in your mouth. When you encounter a situation that is seemingly impossible to you, you can begin hacking away at the opposition by speaking God's word about it. Now don't be under the mistaken impression that all you gotta do is speak to it once and, it, and you've won the battle and it flees. Uh, again, you know, if we go back to the day when swords were the primary um, soldiers, you know, the soldiers' primary weaponry in battle, Seldom did he take one swipe at his enemy and it was done. Usually there was a sword fight, duel, battle, whatever you want to call it. Maybe 15, 20 swipes before you get in a, uh, a blow that does some damage. And that may not have been a deciding blow, but you keep at it until you whack away at your enemy. And of course, if this is the approach we take, uh, then and we keep using the word in our mouth against situations that oppose the will of God for our lives, then that thing has to bow its knee to the word of God, has to bow its knee to Jesus, who is the living word, has to give you the victory, has to flee, as the Bible says your enemies will do. So the sword of the Spirit is always going to be your one way of whittling down enemy opposition, getting that mountain cast into the sea, putting that word in your mouth. Now, the last verse that I want to read in this passage ends with prayer. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And of course, praying always seems like an intimidating prospect. I mean, you got a job to do, you got to go to work, 
You know, you got meetings you have to have. You've got to solve problems and uh, get your business taken care of. How can you pray always? Well, this to me is talking about prayer as communion or connection with God. And sometimes it is conscious supplication. And I believe it should be spirit-led supplication, the things that God brings up in your heart. Make those known unto the Lord. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. This is not talking about somebody that has been sainted by one denomination or another. In the Word of God, all believers are called saints. So there may well be other people out there that God puts on your heart. When it says all prayer, there are a lot of different kinds of prayer. There are petitions that you'll make on behalf of yourself or your family. There are intercessions that you'll make on behalf of other people. Uh, as a matter of fact, praise and worship are forms of prayer because prayer in a general sense is remaining connected with God, communion with God. And that is something you can maintain on a subliminal level. Your mind can be free to do your job and everything else you need to be responsible for, but there's always an underlying awareness of God's presence. He says he never leaves you, never forsakes you. He's closer than your next breath. He's always there. Sometimes we leave him or try to, but he never leaves you. Even in your darkest moment, he's there for you to turn to. But when you become aware of this abiding presence each and every day of your life, it does something for you nothing else can do. When you're aware of God's indwelling, abiding presence in your life, and this is something you have to practice. A good friend of mine taught on practicing the presence of God. Just practicing awareness is something else that you can develop, a habit that you can engage in. Practicing an awareness of God riding with you right there in the car. You can, you can have an internal conversation with him while you're in your car. But keep your mind on the road, on your driving. You know, that subliminal awareness should go with you throughout your day. And of course, then that communion with the Lord is continued. He can fulfill his role as your protector, your provider, your healer, ever present with you, all of the things that he says he is. Now, you're not going to be able to retain everything I've said by hearing it this one time. You've got nothing better to do for the next several days. I mean, certainly your time with your family is valuable, but I mean, you know, in terms of how you spend your discretionary time, don't blow it all on recreation. A little recreation is good for the soul. But spend time reinforcing these truths. You can go back to any of the teachings that I've done here or that most any minister does. You can go to the archives, pull them down, listen to them again. I imparted a lot of truth in a short matter of time, 46 minutes, not too bad. Getting close on time here. Uh, but so go back and, and listen to these things again. I'm gonna close the, the message uh, by talking to people that don't even have the helmet of salvation 
yet because they're not saved. They've always considered the emphasis on being saved or born again a little religious fanaticism that wasn't, wasn't for them. It's not that at all. Jesus uses the terminology born again, and that's where it comes from, uh, to demonstrate the truth that an engagement with God on this level is starting your life all over again. You ever wished you could have a fresh start? God's given you one. He's giving you an opportunity to have one. Now, of course, you, you know, once you have a covenant with him, all of the spiritual truths I touched on briefly earlier become true for you. Your challenge is to believe that that's the real you. And as faith is built in your heart, then you begin to extract spiritual truth into the temporal, natural arena. It's called temporal because that word temporary means subject to change. What can change it? Your faith. It has dominance over natural circumstance when that natural circumstance is counter to the will of God. So when you get saved, you have that capacity now to build on the foundation of salvation, Jesus Christ, but it's still going to be up to you to get serious about God and let him have the place in your life that he wants to have. That's when life begins. A lot of people think, well, man, you know, then I have to give up my bar hopping and chasing and whatever you do that you considered the good life. Uh, there's a point in time, if you haven't encountered it yet, that's not the good life. And it produces results on a longer and longer term basis that you don't wanna have in your life. No, you're not giving up anything you're gaining a peace that passes all understanding, rest that the Bible uses the analogy of lying down in green pastures, contentment, fulfillment, joy, love, all of the things that we feel like we so often are not. That's the good life, and this is the way you can have it. So if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, it's just a matter of believing he is who he says he is, did what he said he came to do, and submitting your life to his lordship. I'm gonna ask you to pray a very simple prayer with me right there in your home. You can pray this after me, pray it with me, after me, and this'll be the first day of a brand new eternity for you. Say this with me, please. God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I've decided to believe that he is your son, that he died for me and rose again from the dead, that I might have eternal life and experience the blessing of life. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will live my life for you. If you said that prayer for the first time, just raise your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm yours. And as you begin stepping out on the word of God, your life will change, and it will change dramatically. Get a Bible. Again, 
If you don't have one, you can stop by here. We'd love to sow that seed into your life. We rejoice with you over this new step you've just taken.